0: Well, uh, Happy New Year again for our first weekend in 2019. um, I thought I would start off with a New Year's confessional. Sound good? Yeah. It's not that juicy, but um, here it is. Um, I really want to be a successful, happy, and thriving person. That's it. I know you're like, that's really not juicy, and I've got way more interesting stuff I could share with you, but I'm not going to today, um, but the reason that's my New Year's confessional is that I'm kind of a nonconformist by nature, I like, some, I like to be individual, and, and so it pains me to say that I am just like billions of other people on planet Earth right now, who in a new year are thinking about success and happiness and, and learning how to thrive. Uh, to add insult to injury, I'm even on day six of Whole30, so I'm mean, just like so basic. I'm a basic white boy up here, so uh, that's, that's kind of annoying. Um, but because of that, because I've, I've just been on this journey to, to be successful and, and happy and thriving, over the years, I've, I've looked out for people who appear to be all the things that I'd like to be. And when I found one, someone who's successful, happy, or thriving, uh, I've observed them. Sometimes I've bought them a cup of coffee and said, hey, will you, will you share with me what the keys to your success are? Um, if they're really successful, sometimes I've, I've read their book, and I've tried to take all of that stuff and implement it, to learn from people who are, who are living it, to implement it into my own life. And here's what I discovered. Some of it works great. Some of it doesn't work at all. And not only that, all successful, happy, and thriving people don't actually agree with each other about what it takes to get there. Have you noticed that? been at professional conferences before and there's a speaker up there and and he's talking and it's it's like oh my gosh this is so spot on you talking about leadership or whatever and i'm taking notes and i think these are the keys to make me more successful as a leader and i'm i'm taking notes and i'm, I'm all into it and then he finishes and then the next speaker gets up and she begins talking and i think wow this is amazing too and then i realize somewhere along the way that although she's just as amazing as he was she is point by point contradicting everything you said ever have that experience and you think, what's, what's up with that? How can they both be right? In faith, I've had a similar kind of experience. I've spent a considerable amount of time trying to, trying to learn from more seasoned, or for lack of a better word, more successful Christians, people who are happy and thriving in their faith, who are, who are fruitful in their faith. And, and so I bought cups of coffee and asked them about what they do, and I've read lots of books written by so-called experts. My office shelves are filled with them and I've discovered the same phenomenon, that they don't all agree. Have you noticed this? That some people, they say, hey, the key to a spiritual breakthrough is you gotta get up early in the morning and for you night owls, it doesn't work. It's gotta be early in the morning and you've gotta pray every morning for an hour. And meanwhile, someone else says, no, 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 it's all about getting out there and getting your hands dirty. It's, it's getting out of the house and it's serving people. Someone else says, no, 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 the, the key is you, you gotta go on half-day worship retreats. You gotta sing for at least four hours in a row before the spirit of God moves in your life. That's a long time singing. Um, for some people, they say, "No, no, that's not it." And instead, it's, it's you got to get out there and you got to fight against the evil and the injustices of the world. You got to be on the front lines. That means protecting the unborn and the immigrants and the orphans and the widows. And some people say, "No, that's about contemplation and meditation." And some people say, "No, it's about taking a pilgrimage." And, and here's the deal: they're not wrong. All that stuff is in the Bible. And yet, if you've tried to incorporate all of those things in your life like I have, here's what you'll discover. They don't all work for you in the same way they work for other people, and you don't have enough room in your life to do all of those things. They can't all possibly fit. There are so many hours in the day there's only one you. And so it took me a long time to put this together, and and I spent way too long feeling like... I was doing something wrong or feeling bad about myself or feeling like, you know, maybe, maybe there's just something wrong with my faith and because if I was a more faithful person, this would work for me like it works for all these people who say it works for them. But, but I began to realize that there isn't one way to be successful in life. And there isn't one right way to be a Christian, And it took me far too long to figure this out. Actually, it was here at this church under the leadership of Stephen Howard, our former pastor, that that I learned a ton about this. But I don't know why it took me so long because this is actually ancient wisdom that's available to all of us. The Apostle Paul, who lived 2,000 years ago, wrote most of the New Testament. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, So it is the same thing is true with Christ. It's just like that. And then he goes on and he says, if we were all one part, where would the body be? See, Paul says that what unites us is not that we all do it the same or that we are the same. What unites us is that we're all in Christ. That's that's our unity. And if we try to approach life or faith in the exact same way, doing it like everyone else does following someone else's path, then here's what happens. We no longer become a body. We become a whole collection of the exact same part, which is kind of counterproductive. See, Paul here says that you are free to be different. Not only are you free to be different, but you have been created and called to be different in life and in faith. You need to be different. And so your approach to life and faith will often look different than someone else's, and and what you need to do is to figure out your unique path. It's not one size fits all, and that's what this series is about. Now, I could go on and explain more about why there are nine paths, and, and, you know, we're going to unpack this, more of this as the series goes on. Today, I thought we would just uh, dive in. I want to start with a conversation I had last week over Christmas break with my sister, Hyacinth. So this is my sister Hyacinth. That's my wife Jocelyn. Uh, Here they are in Hyacinth's uh, house, standing right on the threshold of her kitchen. And we visited family last week. It's the first time we've done that in uh, almost a decade uh, after Christmas, which we we visit family, but just not at Christmas. Um, So uh, we were were up there visiting everyone. and, And this is my sister Hyacinth. She's my big sister. She's three years older than me. But I mean she's my big sister in another way. I'm not referring to her size. You can see she's... You know, it's dangerous to use big and uh, a a woman in the same sentence. It usually doesn't go well. So, um, really, anyone. But uh, she's she's my big sister in another way, that she, from the time I have been aware, cognitively aware, she has had this larger-than-life personality and strength. I'll tell you what I mean. In middle school, um, I got beat up by a high school kid. Years older than me, he was in high school, I was in middle school. And the day after that happened, Hyacinth, who was in high school with this kid, found him the first thing in the morning. She went in, uh, grabbed a hold of him, threw him up against the lockers, and said, You better never touch my baby brother again. And guess what? He didn't. Uh, not only that, but word got out so that when I became a freshman, you know, sometimes freshmen, at least back in the day, freshman boys, they'd get hazed a little bit. Not me. Uh, my big sister was a senior, and no one would touch me because they remembered what she did to that boy. Or uh, I could go back even earlier when I was, um, we were all in elementary school. Uh, on our bus route, there was, a, uh, there was a girl with special needs. And there was this other boy on our bus uh, route who... Uh, he one day was making fun of her. He was kind of teasing her and poking at her. And she asked him to stop, and he wouldn't stop, and he just got meaner. And it was, just, it was just really ugly the way he was talking to her. And before I knew what was happening, my sister was up out of her seat. That boy's hair was in her hands, and his face was making repeated contact with the bus window. <laughs> now she's not exactly a bully, um, although some might say that. I like to think of her as a vigilante crime fighter way more like Batman or something. And, um, and although I've been on the receiving end of her wrath a few times in life, and then I got smart and I tried to stay on her good side, uh, I realized that having a big sister like that, you know, just growing up with someone like that in your corner was a very, very good thing to have. Not just for me, though. Um, 20 years ago, when her son Cullen was born, she's got four boys. Um, Cullen is her third child. When he was born with pretty severe special needs. It was hard. Uh, There was a lot of grief in all of that and just a lot of, like, what does this mean? But in another sense, it felt like this is what Hyacinth was was made to do. And and over the last two decades, she has fought for him. She has... Fought against insurance companies and the government to make sure he can get all the services that he needs. Fought against school systems. She has fought for the best medical care and, and different medications that would be softer on his gentle organs. She blends his food. This is a kid who's been put on hospice twice and taken off hospice twice. He's, he's off hospice right now and he's, he's just thriving even though his lifespan is, was, I mean, he's outlived it by far. And, uh, and that's the testimony to God's grace that this kid is so rare, he's kind of a purple unicorn to be taken off hospice twice. But it's also a testimony to who my sister is. If you knew her, you would get it. And so um, at Christmas, we're standing in her kitchen and we're catching up and she's talking about what she's learning about herself. And she's in her uh, mid-40s now and, and she talked about how she's finally learning about Self-care. And she's learning about how to let her, her husband, her new husband, care for her. And that's something she's never been good at. And she's talking about how she's learning to let her grown sons, her other sons, stand on their own and take responsibility for their life. And then she says, in her classic, powerful, nobody better pity me kind of way, she says, you know what, I'm done being everybody's bomb shelter. And I just kind of laughed to myself when she said that. Because in that moment, like so many other moments in her life, it's been clear to me that for 44 years, my big sister has been walking the path of strength. Now, maybe um, she sounds like someone you know, or maybe as I've been describing her, someone else's elbow has found its way to your ribs, saying like, hey, this is you, you should listen up. Uh, but there are some of us who, in life, find ourselves walking different paths. Again, because we're all created different. And there are some of us who find, us, find ourselves walking this path of strength more than others. And, and I just want to talk a little bit about that. See, when you're on the path of strength, when you spend a good amount of time there, you see life through the lens of power. It seems like some of us are just born stronger than others. Haven't you observed that? I mean, there are some of us who just have more fight from the time that we are infants, and then when we're toddlers, we're kind of the alpha toddler, we're taking control, and that's just who we are, we're, we're born to be stronger or more powerful than others. And, and often when that's kind of how we're, we're raised or that's how we're born, um, what happens is you see life then through the lens of power. You can walk into a room and you can immediately know who's in power and who's under power. And when you walk this path, you're, you're one who always wants to be in power and not under power, And so sometimes that might mean that it seems like you have problems with other people's authority, and it's not that you don't like authority, maybe you just like to be in charge yourself, you like your own authority more, or that may mean that you evidence more rebelliousness than most other people. It's just a part of this. Uh, Second, on the path of strength, you value being in control. See, all of us like to be in control to some extent. Um, Autonomy, though, is a significant word for people who... Spend a lot of time on this path. We all like autonomy. We like to stand in our own power. But for people who walk this path, people like my sister, maybe like you, this is critical to hold on to your autonomy at all costs. And when you're walking this path, when this is kind of the path that you know in life, this is what you're familiar with, the greatest fear you have in all of the world is losing control of being out of control of your own destiny, of of handing your power away to someone else. Now, I've got a little bit of this in me sometimes, and I always know when I'm I'm kind of in trouble, I start having these reoccurring dreams of driving a car and the brakes don't work. Anyone else ever have those? Great, I'm the only control freak in the room. Thank you. (laughs) Um, thank you for not being honest and making me feel uh, uh, right. And I just I'm like These dreams go on forever and it's like I'm not going to crash because I'm in control But I'm trying to figure out how to be in control without brakes it's, it's a very alarming thing and I always know um, That I've, I'm, I'm getting on this path uh, A little bit too much uh, Third on the path of strength You have a lot of righteous anger And maybe some plain old anger um, People in, who walk this path they, they, they talk a lot about righteous anger And so they're really good at confronting people maybe too good at confrontation. Or, um, this is where the vigilante crime fighter stuff comes from. You see injustice in the world and you have to do something about it. And for the most part, people agree. I mean, can anyone say that my sister was wrong for helping that boy's face meet the window on the bus for making fun of a girl's special needs? I mean, you kinda look at that and you go, he's a jerk. He, you know, he deserves his comeuppance. But, but the problem with that, when you see it as your job to bring justice into the world, is that you can often turn into a tyrant or a bully. Um, you can often take uh, too much control over justice. But, but in, in your mind, if you walk this path, it's often because you, you see yourself as just someone who has righteous anger. And, and I read an interesting article, actually, just a couple of weeks ago by a former sem- seminary professor of mine. His name's Jeff Gibbs. And he talks about how righteous anger in the Bible is never ascribed to humans. It's only something that God allows himself to do. And so in the church, we talk a lot about righteous anger, but his argument is, you know, there's never a case in the Bible where humans are allowed to show righteous anger. In fact, every time humans try to do this, they end up just being involved in sinful anger. They end up becoming tyrants. This is something that's reserved for God alone, which is, which is interesting. Uh, on the path of strength next, your relationships are built on protecting and defending and maybe dominating and controlling others. See, because you're just naturally strong, people tend to find refuge under you. They value your strength. And so you, you have all these people who come over under your covering of protection, and, and you start to see it as your job to protect and defend them, to be their bomb shelter, to, to be the one who will fight for them. But, but what can happen because you're so strong is that your strength starts to keep them weak, or you can steamroll people, you can run people over, you can dominate and control people. In a way that is just, uh, that can be, um, can be overpowering. Uh, next, finally, on the paths of strength, you resist vulnerability at all costs. Now, to be vulnerable is to make yourself open to attack or to being wounded. And I don't think any of us really enjoy that. No, no one wants to be open, make ourselves deliberately open to, to be attacked. Uh, But this is terrifying if you are familiar with walking the path of strength, because the path of strength is all about always being in control, maintaining your autonomy, maintaining control over the situation. And so to find yourself suddenly making yourself open to attack, it's counterintuitive to everything you believe about life when you are walking the path of strength. Now here's the thing about people who walk the path of strength. We are so lucky that we have these people in our world because they are our CEOs, they are our government reformers, they are human human rights lawyers, uh, they are the FDRs and the Winston Churchills of the world, they are the Clint Eastwoods and the Serena Williams of the world. Our world would be a very different place without people who are walking this path. But here's the toll that walking this path takes. And sometimes I, th- I think you gotta get to 40 years old or older to figure it out. That when you've been walking this path for a long time, eventually you get tired. You get tired of having to be strong. You get tired of, of taking care of everyone else, of being everyone else's bomb shelter. You get tired of all the conflict and all of the confrontation. You get, you get tired of fighting for control. And not only do you get tired, but after you walk this path for a while, you end up really lonely. Because vulnerability is necessary for human connection. You can't connect with another person without vulnerability, and if vulnerability is something you resist at all costs, which people who walk this path, that's, that's their deal, then you never really get to experience human connection, and so you end up so alone, not only that, um, this, this path, when you walk it for too long, can start to cause some real problems in your relationship with, with God himself, and uh, I believe that Paul, the guy whose words we looked at earlier when we talked about body, many parts, I believe that Paul was no stranger to this path. Or at least if he wasn't a stranger to this path, he had some wisdom for people who are walking this path. It comes from Second Corinthians, the next uh, book of the Bible, another letter that he wrote, 2 Corinthians 12. Um, so a whole different part of the Bible, chapter 6. We're going to jump in. It starts kind of weird, I'll explain as we go. He says, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. He goes on and he says, But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. So, ladies and gentlemen, what this is right here is the first recorded instance in all of history of a humble brag. Are you familiar with this phenomenon? Humble brags? Oh, you'll hear it, um, even right now. I mean, there's someone out there right now who's putting on social media, they're saying, uh, after all of the bad eating of the holidays, I just can't get under a six-minute mile anymore. And you're like, I hate you. you know, like, but it's, it's that thing where you're, you're bragging, really, but you're trying to do it under the guise of humility. And that's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's like, he's like although I've got every reason to boast because I'm basically awesome, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to appear arrogant. And you're like... Paul, it's a little too late. You just kind of did it. Um, but then he goes on, and he says, you know, I've got all of these strengths. I've, got, I've been given these revelations by God. And what he's doing is, is his authority is being challenged as a teacher, as an apostle, as a leader. And so he's writing this letter, and he's kind of saying, hey, I've got, I've got plenty of authority. And he's kind of doing the strength thing. When his strength is being challenged, when his position's being challenged, you know, he kind of puffs himself up, and he says, hey, you know, if I were bragging, I wouldn't be lying. I just be saying stuff that's true because I got a lot to brag about, but I'm not going to do that. And, and then here's what he learns: He says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, which could happen easily, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So so Paul says, so so I've got all this to brag about. I'm a strong guy, I'm a powerful guy. He said, but but along the way, I was given a thorn, a weakness that I couldn't ignore, a vulnerability that, that demanded my attention and kept reminding me, hey, Paul, you're not as great as you think you are. You're, you're not as powerful as you think you are. Now, for most of us, when we're given a thorn in life, whether that's a sickness that we suddenly encounter, uh, maybe for some of us, that's we find, find, uh, suddenly find ourselves unemployed or worse. Economically, we or we find ourselves in deep conflict with someone in our life or worse, or we find ourselves in some battle with a personal demon that we just can't beat. Often when we find ourselves in that place where our vulnerability, our weakness cannot be ignored any longer, we we can't avoid it, it's staring us in the face. Uh, It's common that none of us like it. And if we're people of faith, what we normally do is we say, why God, we complain, and then we beg God to take it away. God, will you just take this thing away? Because for all of us, even if this is not the path that you normally walk, for all of us, it doesn't feel good to be vulnerable. But if you're walking this path, it it is your kryptonite, being vulnerable, being weak, you just, you you can't handle it. And and so we do what we'll see Paul do, we beg God to take it away, and that's exactly what he does. So he's like, there's this weakness, this vulnerability suddenly in my life, and I can't be the strong guy, I'm, I'm faced with my own weakness, my frailty, and so here's what I do. Three times I plead with the Lord, just take this away. I've got work to do. I need to be strong. I can't, I, I ain't got no time for this, God. But he said to me, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. My grace is sufficient for you. When we're feeling weak and we want to hide it, when we're feeling vulnerable and we feel ashamed about that, when, when we're trying to grab onto strength, when we're saying, take this away so I can get back to being strong, I don't, I, I don't have time for this, I can't do this. Here, here's God's word to us He says, hey, my grace is enough. And not only that, I love what God does here. He takes the focus off of Paul's vulnerability. And that's all Paul can think about is, oh, this vulnerability, this weakness, this thorn, it's all I can think about. It's all everyone else can see. I don't like it. And God says, hey, take your focus off that. And I want you to put your focus instead on my power. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, not yours, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Now, I know this sounds just like a, a cliche or a nice little catchphrase or something clever you might, you know, find on a Christian greeting card or something or a get well card. But I'm telling you, if, if you've been walking this path, this is a breakthrough truth for you. This can be if you let it. And it certainly was for Paul. We don't know how long it took for these words to get through, but look at how just this message from God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power. It's not about your weakness, it's about my power that's made perfect in your weakness. That eventually gets through and look what happens. Paul says, therefore, I will boast. Something's changed in him. Instead of being a guy who, you know, I have no vulnerabilities, he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why now, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If you're walking the path of strength, do you see what Paul learned? He learned a secret here about what true strength consists of. Here's the trap. We, we need strong people in the world. Again, if, if this is your, the path that you tend to walk, if you're the person of strength in, in, uh, in your life and people you know, flock to you for protection, like the people in your life are deeply grateful for you. you. You provide something wonderful in the world. But here's the trap. Avoiding vulnerability leaves you vulnerable. If you think that you can never be soft or weak, If you can never struggle because it's too important that you maintain control for the sake of your own being and for the sake of everyone else, here's what's going to happen. Here's the trap. Avoiding vulnerability leaves you vulnerable. Because no matter how much you deny your limitations, you have them. And the more you deny them, the likelier it is they're going to come back to bite you someday. Not only that, if there are really people who are out there to get you, who would love to, you know, knock you off your throne, they can see those vulnerabilities from miles away, often way before you do if you keep avoiding those vulnerabilities. Avoiding your vulnerability leaves you vulnerable. If you're someone who consistently says, you know, I don't have time to take a break, I, I, I got to keep going, people need me and I, I got to keep, I got to be strong and I got to fight through and so you never rest and, and you work all the time and you play too hard, eventually you know what's going to happen, you, you can never take a break because I would be weak, you'll get sick and you'll have no choice. Or if you're someone who needs to have control all of the time and you need to exert your power in every situation and you never learn diplomacy, then you know what's going to happen. Eventually, you're going to find yourself out of power in a big way. Just read history. Pretty much every tyrant who has ever lived ends up executed dead, overthrown, right? Or if you keep going around telling people in your life, hey, I don't need anyone, I'm strong enough to be on my own, then someday they're going to take the hint And all of your worst fears are going to come true of betrayal. They're going to leave. And if you keep doing this in your relationship with God, because if you do this in life, you have no choice. You're going to do this in your relationship with God. It's it's the same thing in either direction. If you avoid vulnerability in your relationship with God, if you come to church and you say, I'm only here because it's the right moral thing to do. And when we talk about this touchy-feely stuff, if you're like, you know I don't like this touchy-feely stuff, can you just get back to the Bible stories and the facts and just do the objective teaching because I don't need all this touchy-feely stuff. If you're someone who says, you know what, it's yeah, God is good and, and I need a little help in my life, but I don't need a big overhaul, I just need a few tweaks because I'm doing fine on my own. First, I would love to survey the people in your life and see if they agree. Um, but, but if that's you, if you stand invulnerably If you refuse to be vulnerable in your relationship with God, then here's what ultimately happens. You leave yourself so weak, so open to attack because you will eventually face things that are beyond your power and strength and you're dooming yourself to living life in your own strength apart from the strength, the power, the direction, the wisdom that only God can provide and that you so desperately need. I know when you're walking this path, it feels like you have no other choice, that you just have to keep on being strong or else everything else is going to fall apart. But it's not true. It's a trap. And so, and so here's what Paul learned. If strength is what you're after, then you have to learn weakness. Again, I think for some of us, God put a desire in us to be strong. It's a calling. It's how we're created but our path to it is often misguided. See what Paul learned, and and Paul's a strong guy, but he learned that if if, if he needed to be strong, if that's what he felt God was calling him to do, if that's what he was after, then the way to find strength is through weakness, through vulnerability. Again, um, of all of the things that I could advise you to do to, to grow in your relationships, to grow in your faith, if this is the path that you've been walking This is the thing that you need to do more than anything else. You need to learn weakness, learn vulnerability. By that, I don't don't mean like find, you know, make more mistakes on purpose because you already got those things. You need to learn to be okay with those things. So that might mean learning finally how to take care of yourself, learning that, hey, I've got limitations, and if I don't care for myself, eventually I'll crash big time. Or even more than that, even more than that, you know what this means for you? Learning to let other people take care of you. Because if you're used to being the strong one all the time, <laughs> no, you take care of people. People don't take care of you. But actually, actually being able to say the words, I need your help, those can be the, some of the hardest words to say, but they can be some of the freeing, most freeing words to say. That, that's how you learn weakness and you find real strength. And ultimately, in our relationship with God, this is what you need to learn, that there is, there is one who is always fighting for you. See, if you keep trying to get to strength the way that you've been doing it by being strong, you're only gonna end up alone and tired and weary and stagnant in your relationship with God because you refuse to be vulnerable it's not going to take you to where you want it to go it doesn't ultimately lead to a place of strength but when you realize that there is someone who is always fighting for you then you know what that means that means you don't have to fight for yourself and you don't have to be everyone else's bomb shelter and you don't have to be the biggest person in the room it means you can finally be free to relax to be weak and to let someone else shelter you I'm telling you this is what Jesus has done for you He's come into the world for you in all of his strength and power. And this is what Paul learned. He says, that's why I now delight. I don't just tolerate my weaknesses. I just don't, you know, like I kind of, like I'm okay with them, but I I delight in my vulnerabilities now because each one of those things, whether it's persecution or insults or, or other things in my life or things within me, every one of those things is an opportunity for me to see Christ's power resting on me. It's a place where I I can learn that I don't have to fight every battle and I don't have to be everyone else's bomb shelter and I don't have to be powerful. There is one who is sheltering me and his grace is enough to cover me and his power is actually made perfect in my weakness, not, not in my power. He doesn't need me to be strong. See, in the same Jesus... Because I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, that may be fine for me. That may be fine for me, but you don't understand. If I'm not strong, there are all kinds of people who are depending on me to be strong for them. And what about them? Who's going to fight for them? Who's going to protect them? Let me tell you, this, this same Jesus, who, who can teach you about true strength, the kind of strength that won't cost you so much, that won't leave you lonely and empty and broken, he can do that for the rest of the world. Those others that you're trying so hard to protect and defend, sometimes control. See, here's the healing message for you. You don't have to save the world. He's already done that. And he's much better suited to do it than you are. And, and not only that, but when you look around the world and you see all this injustice and all that's wrong still, I, I know for you that maybe just goes, but someone's got to do something. He's got a plan for that too. He's coming back someday. And he's coming back to judge that means he's coming back to make it all right to bring justice and to level all of the injustice he's got a plan to handle it which means you're out of a job (laughs) and i know that can be terrifying because this is this is what you do but it can also be really really freeing see the world still needs your strength if this is if this is what Um, if this is kind of what you feel called to do the world still maybe needs you to be strong but in a different way It's, it's not strength without vulnerability it is strength through vulnerability is learning to delight in your weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on you and that in your weakness you will be made truly strong there is one who is truly strong and it's not you which is a very good thing for the world, because you have limitations. It's also a great, very good thing for you. And while we all can benefit from this truth today, I mean, this, this is just truth. There are some of you who this, this is the thing, this is the obstacle that is standing in your way in every part of your life. And your breakthrough moment will be when you learn to not only be okay with, but you ultimately learn to delight in your weaknesses, then you'll find true strength. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you for being so strong. And I thank you for putting strong people all around us. I thank you for my big sister. I thank you for those other people in my life who have been pillars of strength that have given uh, protection and refuge to so many of us. But, but Father, I, I want to pray specifically for those people like that who are listening to my words right now. Father, I pray that you would teach us how to be strong in a different way, that you would teach us strength through weakness. And you would teach us how to access the power of Christ, the power of others in our lives, but a power that comes from outside of us by making ourselves vulnerable. And God, um, you know, even, even this week, as we encounter things in the world that we feel it's our job, we, we've got we've to be the superhero. We've got to solve this. We've got to protect. We've got to defend. And Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you would just whisper in our ears these truths that Paul wrote so long ago. That you'd remind us to delight in our vulnerabilities, not fight against them or hide them. That you'd remind us that it is in weakness that we're strong that you remind us that your grace is sufficient and that your power is made perfect in us when we're weak. God, ultimately so that we can break free. My, my, My hope for all of us in this room is that none of us will know the fatigue and the loneliness that comes from consistently walking down this path. Set us free. In Jesus we pray. Amen.